evening, everyone. Welcome to Stewart Observatory on a beautiful night in Tucson, Arizona, and welcome to our final public evening lecture for calendar year 2015. Uh, yeah, it's gone by quickly. We welcome those of you listening to this podcast on iTunes U and streaming live at W streaming not live at www.as.arizona.edu. Um, before I introduce tonight's speaker, I just want to remind you of the schedule starting in 2016. So here it is. I have two lectures scheduled for January. Our next lecture will be on the 11th of January. Uh, Theodora Carolitti is going to talk about the work she does on trying to find planets around other stars, especially ones that could be like Earth. And then Andrew Strominger, his friends call him Andy. He's a string theorist from Harvard, and he's going to be in town on the 25th of January. Now, I, don't tell me I know that's the first night of the College of Science lecture series, but I'm still going to have every other Monday astronomy lectures in case you'd rather hear about astronomy than what they're talking about over at Centennial Hall. Um, the edge of the universe, black holes, horizons, and strings, that will be that lecture. And I have yet to Hopefully by the beginning of the year, I'll have the rest of the lectures for spring up there. Uh, but right now we have those two. If there's any students here for uh, an assignment, I am the person that will validate your assignment at the end of the question and answer period. For those of you sitting in the ground, I can't allow that. There are plenty of seats. Come down and take a seat. Sorry, fire marshal regulations. Can't allow it. All right. I'll be down here and I will stamp your assignments. Also, the telescope will be open at the conclusion of tonight's lecture. So if you haven't gone to look through a 21-inch telescope larger than what you'd have in your backyard, please feel free. So again, our final lecture of the fall 2015 series. And it was important to me because this is the year that we finally got to see what Pluto looked like, right? I wanted to have a Pluto lecture, but I wanted to take it a few months after the flyby by New Horizons so that uh, we, our, our friends who actually do this for a living, right, had time to digest the data. Um, and of course, who else? And who else better to tell us about Pluto and Ceres, because also we encountered Ceres this year too, is Mark Sykes. Mark is an Oregon duck, received his bachelor's degree from the University of Oregon, but he attended our sister department, the Lunar and Planetary Laboratory, and got his PhD in planetary sciences here at the University of Arizona. And many years he worked at LPL and at Stewart Observatory. Uh, in, in that time, he also went to law school. So he also has a JJD degree. He can practice law, uh, which is scary. And, um, he also, of course, is a mainstay of the opera chorus for Arizona Opera. So yes, he's an entertainer, a scientist, and a lawyer. He is, for the last 11 years, he has been the director and CEO of Planetary Science Institute. We have a private institution that does research in planetary science separate from the University of Arizona, and they have people all over the world actually working for them, but they have their headquarters here in Tucson. So without further ado, oh, and 
he's also done a lot of work on Pluto. I mean, to me, he's Mr. Pluto. And uh, didn't you discover the, uh, the ice cap on Pluto a long time ago? Wasn't that you? Yeah, you were involved in that. So anyways, without further ado, we call upon Dr. Mark Sykes to talk about the latest Dwarf Planets series, Charon and Pluto. Oh. Well, thank you very much, Tom. Um, well, uh, gosh, yeah, it's been, it's been a really exciting year. You know, it's, it's the revenge of the dwarves. And, <laughs> and, 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 and I, I have to say that, that actually, you know, seeing all these images uh, from Ceres and, and Pluto and Charon uh, has, has been uh, really inspiring. And, and so I, I thought that I would uh, go back and, and, and address some, some fundamental issues regarding this, this special class of objects. And of course, the very first question that we should all ask is, what's a dwarf planet? <laughs> so, now, now, <clears throat> the IU says dwarf planets is not really a planet. You know, they're drinking. And, and under the IU definition, you know, going back, turning the Wayback Machine to 2006, this, is, this, this was a chart that was sent to me um, uh, on the day that they made their, their decision, uh, such as it was, because and, and, I sent a message to uh, Hal Levison, who's a, who's a world-class uh, dynamicist, saying, Hal, um, is Mercury still a planet? You know what I mean? How, how, do, how does this work? Because they're talking about you've got to clear your orbit. You know, it's like, I guess that's over the age of the solar system. And, and, and so what's, what's, the, what's the deal on that? And he said, let me get back to you. I've got to make some, some dynamical calculations. So this was at about, I don't know, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, 6 o'clock the next morning, I get this email with, with, with this chart in it showing that, that there's a couple ways that you can clear your orbit. One is by, by absorbing stuff uh, in your path, and the other is by scattering it out of the way. So, so, so clearly, you know, the big boys are... are fall above these lines, you know, though, so, you know, Mars, it's kind of dodgy. And, uh, uh, and, and poor Ceres down here and Pluto down here, you know, don't get to play uh, reindeer games, you know, with the other guys. <laughs> and, 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 but the interesting thing is that if, um, uh, I mean, this is, this is fine, this is great, but, but you know, if, if we were to go to, say, another solar system and, and Earth was, was out here, you know, out like around the orbit of Saturn even, it wouldn't be a planet. And uh, uh, so, and actually Pluto, uh, if it was the size of, of the Earth, and originally when it was discovered, that's what we thought it was. No, I don't say we as in, I was around 1930. This is just, you know, it's not that great. But uh, 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 so, so, you know, so, so there's kind of some, some problems, you know, here. So uh, when we look at things closer, you know, because we don't, when we study, when we send out spacecraft, when we spend your money to go out into the solar system and, and uh, explore these other worlds, uh, you know, we're not there to say, okay, we're here. What's it having an effect on that object over there? No, we want to know what the properties are of the object that we're, that we're studying. And uh, uh, one of the interesting things as we have gone throughout the solar system and seen things up close and personal is that we're seeing a lot of familiar territory. Here is, let's see if I can get this right. Uh, this is a, a radar map of some islands in the Aegean Sea. This is a radar map of some islands in, your, in uh, the, the Sea of Titan. So, you know, we see these, these very similar morphologies, volcanoes on Venus, volcanoes on the Earth, um, you know, atmospheres everywhere. Uh, 
uh, and, and of course craters everywhere too. And, and when I first got into the game back in the, uh, <clears throat> back in the early 80s, uh, uh, the, the planetary science was primarily telescope jockeys. I was a telescope jockey. Actually, I started out studying black holes, but that's another story. And, uh, 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 but because of the detail of, of information we started getting back from, from the spacecraft that we're sending out through the solar system, we uh, was discovering uh, processes Sorry, uh, processes that were uh, similar on on Earth and other worlds, and so so my my uh, so planetary science began to merge uh, into what you might call comparative planetology, because we go to other worlds and we're looking at the same physics uh, uh, on these other worlds that we see on the Earth, and so yeah, so so today back back in the 80s. Uh, most planetary scientists belong to the Division for Planetary Sciences of the American Astronomical Society, which was telescope jockeys. And, and now they're, they're geologists, they're, they're geoscientists. And uh, this is one of our scientists, Mary Burke. <laughs> you, know, you know, you imagine walking around with that thing. You know, it's, a, it's a GPS thing. She was doing some, uh, some field work in the uh, Australian outback on the oldest riverbed on Earth. Uh, tried try to say how it's like uh, things on Mars. And uh, uh, so, from a geophysical perspective, we want to we take the Captain Kirk test, you know, where we fly our spaceship to something and say, well, Captain, it's a class G planet. You know, it, it, it's by looking at it that we understand what it is that we're looking at, not, not by looking around aimlessly in other directions. And so, uh, uh, because, because when we go to study other worlds, we're going there to study processes that we're familiar with on the Earth in these really different contexts of uh, different composition, different gravities, uh, different uh, heliocentric distances, uh, uh, and, and then that, of course, informs uh, what we expect to see in this growing number of planets that we discover around other stars. So, whoop, 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 whoop. okay, so if you take a look at all these guys in the solar system we've looked at, you can kind of group them up into the round guys and the not-so-round guys. And, and the interesting thing when you do this is that, is that when, you, when you are big enough for your gravity to shove things into a round shape by its own gravity, that's when geology turns on. That's when we start seeing these processes that we see here on the Earth. And so that's kind of a nice, a nice line to draw is, is, you know, an object orbiting star that's large enough to be round. You know, now you can now you can take this definition and apply it anywhere. You know, keep it in your back pocket, and so uh, you know because that's when geology turns on. So this is a geophysical definition uh, for planet, and uh, uh, you know what the IU says. Well, that's that's okay, fine, because because actually, you know, IU is not Holy Mother Church. You know, it can't speak. You know, uh, uh, tell us what the definition is. Ex cathedra. You know, uh, uh, we don't have to submit to papers to get its imprimatur nihil obstat. Uh, so, so, so that's all fine, and, 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 you know, planetary science, like many areas of science, it's hurting cats, you know, nobody's going to agree on stuff, and so there's lots of papers, and certainly the, the Pluto mission, uh, that uh, uh, rejects uh, the, the more astronomical journal, uh, 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 not the astronomical journal, I mean, it's a good journal, it's a nice journal, but, uh, uh, so, in 2015, we get our first close-up of three dwarf planets, series or here this is a these are kind of hubble images uh pluto and charon this this is the before 
prepare to be amazed. And the interesting thing about Pluto is that, uh, Pluto and Charon, is that it's a double planet. You know, you can see that they orbit a point that's in between the two of them. It's not underneath Pluto's surface, it's actually outside the surface. And so, I mean, we have double stars and double galaxies. Our solar system has a double planet, and not very many people talk about that, but it's actually really cool. So, so you know, come on. So, uh, yeah, so uh, Pluto-Charon is actually a double planet system. Uh, so, what are we seeing? Uh, okay, so I'm a, I'm a uh, co-investigator on the uh, Dawn mission uh, to Vesta and Ceres. I was here last time, I think, talking about Vesta. In April, yes. In April, right, okay. And uh, since then, uh, we have uh, arrived at Ceres and seen a lot of uh, neat things. Thank you very much. I'm done for the evening. So, no. no. <laughs> well, first of all, Ceres is about the size of Texas. There we go. You know, if you, if you look at it in cross-section. And, uh, and it sits out here in the rubble pile between Mars and Jupiter in the main asteroid belt. It contains about a third of the mass of all the objects in the asteroid belt. So what did we think we're going to know? What, what, what did we think we know before we got there? Well, we know that unlike Vesta, which sits in this, in this really big asteroid family that, that was caused by these giant impacts on the southern hemisphere that spewed out all these other fragments, um, Ceres doesn't have that. You know, it just sits here off to the side. This, this, these uh, groupings of asteroids is not related to Ceres. We know that it's dark. It's kind of like uh, road tar. You know, it's, it reflects about uh, 9% of the light that's incident on it. But when we did these observations uh, with uh, Hubble of, of Ceres and got a good determination of its size and its shape, one very curious thing came out, and that is it's, it, there was no topography uh, that we could determine at, at this resolution. And, uh, uh, but, but the shape isn't, isn't equilibrium, isn't an equilibrium shape for the rotation period that, that it has. Uh, and, and so uh, about you know, 10 hours to 9, 10 hours. And, and so uh, to, in order to uh, uh, say that, you know, what would you get if you had just a liquid, liquid sphere or, you know, and it's spinning and so it starts to flatten. Gee, I just forgot myself in the eye. Uh, it starts to flatten. And, and uh, in order to match the uh, rotation rate of series, it's got to be differentiated. It's got to have uh, a kind of a rocky core and its net density means that the outer mantle has got to have a lot of ice in it. And when people were doing thermal models of, of Ceres, uh, which is to say, okay, we're going to put together the stuff with uh, you know, radioactive nucleides and stuff that heats it up over the age of the solar system, it heats up in the interior, it melts and all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, people were uh, hypothesizing that there should have been a, uh, an interior ocean underneath the surface, which is, which is pretty cool. So, uh, so this is, and also, okay, the, this, this stuff over here is a brucite, uh, and that's a, a salt that uh, uh, has been detected on the surface. So, and that's, that cause, that's, comes from water interaction with, with minerals. And so here we have a dark surface. It's, it's got contributions of minerals on it that, that have a, have a hydra hydration history. So uh, interesting object. Oh, and, and then um, the Herschel Space Telescope, uh, 
okay, this is, this is Nature Magazine. You know, it's like, it's like the thing coming out of somebody's ears. You know, it, it's, it's, it didn't see this. What it detected, though, was, was there were two longitudes at which water vapor was, was, de uh, was detected uh, and reproduced. You know, went away, went, went around the horizon, came back. Uh, I say longitudes because we don't know where, you know, in there uh, this water came from. But that was uh, exciting because uh, even though it was only about 13 pounds a second, which isn't, you know, or, or, yeah, uh, which isn't you know, a whole lot of stuff, it's like, well, where does it come from? And so when you couple it with the uh, theoretical models of the ocean underneath the surface and all that, then it's like, okay, cool, cool. Um, so you know, could there be cryovolcanism? You know, what's going on on the surface of Ceres? So Don finally gets there. And we find, oh, another cratered object. Oh, how boring. No, it's like, the, no, no, it's, it's really not boring because when you start looking at this uh, close up, you see things like, come on, 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 a little more. Where, where is it? Oh, there it is, the great white spot. Yeah, I gave a talk here, I think, on uh, hunting for the great, it was here, wasn't it? Hunting for the great white spot. You know, had a whale coming out of the surface. And uh, uh, so we find this cratered surface but we find areas of it that are somewhat relaxed and other areas that, that are rougher. And, and so this is probably due to a variation in the subsurface ice uh, that's mixed in with, with the rock. Uh, uh, so so there's, there's a lot of complications here. And now I'm going to be showing it, okay, with the great white spot. And then there's something that will pop up later. Where is it? Where is it? Oh, it came around the horizon here. And we'll, we'll get to that. So, uh, so the uh, areas, the longitudes at which uh, water was detected by Herschel are around here, around the longitude of the Great White Spot. Uh, okay, it's really officially named, you know, Akator, you know, uh, crater, uh, whatever the Latin word for crater is. But uh, see, this is why the IU just has got to get out of the naming business because they bore you to death. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I can't remember what, you know, gods or whatever it is. Uh, uh, and then this is the other longitude at which water was detected too. So, so, you know, here, it's kind of like, oh, there's something going on here. Here, it's like, well, you know, I don't know. So, you know, like, why didn't we see anything there? Uh, so, so it's, uh, you know, there's mysteries that, that compound themselves as we, as we study uh, series. So we have the bright spots. And we have the great white spot up close. So this, now it's getting interesting. You know, now this is at about uh, uh, oh, 140 mix, 40 pixels a 140 meters per pixel there we go uh, and we're seeing that that this is uh, pretty complex in here uh, and actually when you look at this kind of central area here it's it's like a dome you know so so you know what's what's that is it cryovolcanism is, is you know I mean, clearly it's uh, we've got a paper coming out in nature uh, showing that this stuff uh, is is likely to be a magnesium salt of, of some kind and and uh, uh, so, so that means that there's uh, the, the salt, that there's liquid water coming from the interior up to the surface, subliming and leaving the, the white stuff behind. Just like if you see, you know, Old Faithful at Yellowstone, you see the bright kind of salty stuff evaporates uh, from, from around it. I was kind of hoping we'd see that, you know, like, like a geyser coming up, you know, every so often. You know, that would, that would, that would increase our funding. Um, <laughs> So, so yeah. I, I, another possible mechanism for this is uh, is, is impact hydrothermal systems. So, uh, object comes in, forms this big crater, but 
like I said, there's, there's ice mixed in with the soil beneath the surface, melts that stuff, forms a reservoir of water, it leaks up to the surface you know, with its salts and, and leaves, leaves a mess. Okay, I mean, I gotta show it because it's cool, it's a movie, you know, it's, it's really neat, yeah. So, uh, you know, but, but yeah, so are these other separate uh, stuff coming out? Maybe there was some, uh, some like eruptions and it just splatted some stuff out onto the surface. I mean, one of the things that we're going to be doing uh, with the Dawn mission, we've got about a year to go, and uh, we're, we're going to be reaching our lowest altitude uh, here in another week and a half or so, and, and now we'll be able to look at this at a resolution of not 140 meters uh, per pixel, but 35 meters per pixel, so four times better. So, so you know, we, we may think that we know what's going on here, but as an, as an all-great science, you know, we get more data and we'll just go, what, what's that? So how, how does that work? So, <laughs> yeah, so, so the possible origins of the Akator spots. I like the great white spot better. That, that, you know, in all cases, it requires liquid water to come up to the surface. Um, this, this isn't something that was just excavated, you know, but, but rather it's something that percolated up there. Uh, whether it's due to uh, a deep interior water reservoir, you know, has an ocean persisted over the age of the solar system, that's my favorite, that's, I mean, that's just more of a wish thing. Uh, or is it this impact-driven uh, hydrothermal process? But if it's that, why aren't we seeing more of that? I mean, a lot of craters on the surface. Uh, uh, you know, why can't we have like five great white spots instead of just one? So, you know, are we, are we really that lucky? I don't think so. So, but there are other smaller white spots around the, uh, around the planet, the planet, and, uh, and we see them kind of associated with the walls of, of some craters here. And, uh, and so what's, what's that all about? It's not percolating up from the center of, of something. Um, and that might be due, did I say what it might be due to? Oh, no, okay. That might be due to, uh, uh, let's say that, that, that uh, the Great White Spot is due to impact-driven hydrothermal processes leaving, you know, evaporite residue on there. And then it stops after a while. Right? It's used up its reservoir of stuff and it stops. And, uh, and so it just kind of sits there. And then some other impacts come along and cover it up. And so it's you know, dark surface again. But then a big impact comes by nearby and excavates a portion of it. And that's what's leaking down to the side of these other craters. So uh, that's my hypothesis at least. But uh, uh, you know, so that we, we, as we get better resolution, of course, we will answer all questions. And then there's the series pyramid. Now, they don't like me using the term pyramid, you know, anymore because it has an official name and I can't remember it because it's boring. But, but yes, we found a pyramid on, on series. Send more funds. And, uh, I mean, it's, it's really cool. It's unique. It just, it just kind of sticks up out of the, out of the surface there. Um, it's, uh, you know, next to this crater. But, you I know, mean, look at... So it's got this kind of a flat top. It's got these striations coming down to the side. The one of the interesting things to me is that these striations come on down and then they stop. They don't like piddle on into this little crater here, or go off over there someplace. Uh, they just stop. So what's that all about? Uh, this is an interesting, interesting object. Okay. Okay, it's not a movie, sorry. I thought it was a you know, like rotating movie. So this is just another uh, a side perspective. It, it, it's, it's the angle. It's about 20 kilometers wide, five kilometers high, and, and uh, the slope 
is, is close to the angle of repose for gravel. So, you know, it's like, okay, now, didn't that sound like science? And, right, so, so uh, we think, or at least we're writing a paper right now that says we think that uh, this might be uh, analogous to a, uh, a dome, uh, like a magmatic dome on an earth uh, a volcano, except that it's not silicic, it's not, you know, earth magma, it's, it's what it passes for magma on, uh, on series, which would be slush, you know, some, some kind of ice, ice rich type plug that comes up and, and forms here. So, yes, what would drive that? Do I say? No. Okay. Um, so, so, I mean, I, I, I gave up a poster at the last, or at the DPS meeting in DC uh, last month, and it was kind of fun because uh, uh, I ran out of time, you know, to prepare it. And, and, and so I was like, hell, I'm not going to do it. I'll just leave it blank. And I thought, no, I can't do that. And so, and so it, it, it was comparing uh, mountain building processes on Ceres and Pluto. I mean, you'd want to come to see that, wouldn't you? And, uh, but we could never quite, I'm not a geologist, but, but you know, I'm, I'm like hanging with geologists now. So, and uh, uh, it, we hadn't quite had the discussions I wanted on the team. And so, uh, uh, so but I had an idea. Uh, I was leaving on Saturday and Friday morning, or no, I was leaving on Sunday, and Friday morning, I kind of woke up and I thought, wait a minute, no, I don't have to have just a blank, you know, spot there and be embarrassing, hide my head in shame. Uh, I, I discovered that on Amazon.com, you can buy something called dry erase paper. You know, it's, it's, it's amazing. You fold out there, you put dry erase markers on it and wipe it off. It's cool. So I made a poster out of dry erase paper, and I put a, uh, uh, a title, the authors, and a picture of or the abstract, you know. Well, I know there might be a similar, because of similarity in the morphologies of the mountain on Ceres and mountains we see on Pluto, maybe they're caused by the same thing. So I put that there. And, and then I had a picture of the, the pyramid, a picture of a Pluto mountain, which, which I'll get to. And, uh, uh, and then the rest was like blank. Except I put a little thing in there saying, showtime, 3.30, Tuesday. And so 3.30, and it was funny because uh, some reporters had called me up about, about uh, my, my, my poster talk because they wanted to, you know, oh, we want to write a story about this. And I said, I'm not doing it. I ran out of time. And I let this one reporter know, oh, oh by the way, this is what I'm going to do. I'm gonna, we're going to have real-time science. You know, I'm going to have magic markers or, or you know, dry erase markers. I'm going to have other pictures and stuff. I'm going to these geologists have agreed to come in, and, and we're just going to stand in front of the poster, and we're going to draw on it. We're going to post things on there, and and, and and try to figure out well what is going on. And 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 the one reporter said, "Okay, that sounds great. I'm going to be there. Would you not tell the other reporters about this?" <laughs> no. Okay. Um, and, and we ended up having like, you know, normally for a poster to be, there's like three people standing there. It's like, oh, you know, so that's just, you know, and, uh, um, but we had like 12 people there, you know, the geologists there, and we had wine, you know, and some beer, and, uh, which was really expensive. And, uh, uh, you know, and like three reporters there, and we're all up there just like, wow, well, what do we think? Oh, you know, they have a reservoir here of water, and, you know, it just went on like that. So it was, it was actually a lot of fun. And, and, and the result, of course, was a complete poster that was a complete mess. You know, just random pictures, random scribblings all over the place. You know, so people would go, what's this? I said, well, you had to be there. So, <laughs> so anyway, so that was fun. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so the, 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 the pyramid is, is very cool. And uh, there are... Of course, uh, there, we think there's seismology or seismology, tectonics on series because we see these rifts and things uh, on there. Uh, uh, there is 
uh, sloughing of, of crater walls that suggest that, that, uh, that perhaps there's ice that's sublimating there, and then, it's, then it uh, crashes down, and then more ice sublimes, and it crashes down, and so you kind of get crater expansion over time in some cases. Uh, some people don't believe that, but, you know, sounds good. So, so some uh, thoughts about Ceres is that if there's cryovolcanism going on, if, if some of this liquid water that we see, or even that ice plug that, that caused the pyramid is due to some deep interior water reservoir, then it raises the question of, of you know, whether, uh, well, well the, the, the tectonics and stuff suggests that there's certainly an active interior, and, and could there be an interior ocean? And, uh, and, and, and in the area of the Great White Spot, if you have this stuff coming up from an interior ocean, then that would be a place to maybe send another spacecraft sometime, land down there, scoop up some of the salt, and look at it and say, are there any dead bugs? And make, and make like the most important discovery in human history. So, so these are really uh, interesting, interesting questions. Yeah, because obviously, if you have an ocean under the, over the age of the solar system, the big question is, that could there be life you know, in that ocean? And then how do, we, how do we detect signs of that? And we detect signs of that if we can get some communication of that, of that water to the surface where we could sample it. So then uh, there's that New Horizons mission, which, which Okay, well, let's just go on. Uh, so what were we expecting here? Well, uh, okay, Pluto, Ceres, or uh, Charon. Um, here is Pluto, as, as seen by, uh, by New Horizons. Uh, and it was absolutely spectacular. We have, we have, you know, I love you, you know, heart. <laughs> there, there's uh, Tombaugh Reggio. Uh, the Sputnik Planum here, which is uh, ice, uh, nitrogen ice, uh, but it seems to also have a mixture of, of uh, carbon monoxide, you know, uh, methane stuff in it. Uh, absolutely uh, dramatic. Uh, a lot of, a lot of uh, you know, again, tectonic type stuff. These dwarf planets end up being pretty active places. And, and, and if uh, Ceres was a nice little, uh, hey, there's something going on here. This is like in your face or something going on here. So uh, one of the things I really liked about, about what they've done with New Horizons is their informal uh, naming convention. They're just not submitting stuff to the IEU. It's like they're just going to go on for the next 20 years. These are all informal designations. And uh, you know, so you've got the Tombaugh Regio, which is the heart, uh, Spooknik Planum, which is the, the big icy area. Uh, there's some uh, mountain ranges named after uh, Hillary and Argay, the, the guys that first uh, climbed Mount Everest. Um, uh, you know, there's some Star Trek stuff, Voyager, uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's like there's a Kirk crater somewhere around here, and in Organa, you know, Star Wars uh, thing, uh, yeah, Sputnik Planum, yeah, so, so you have, you have this, this big ice region, and it has a lot of very interesting, uh, it, it butts up against these, these kind of mountains uh, down here, this is what I was comparing with the, the pyramid on, uh, on Pluto or on, on Ceres, uh, so yes, yeah, so we have the uh, Hillary Montes, the uh, Hillary Mountains, and the Norgay Mount, Mountains. Uh, Norgay Mountains are a couple kilometers high. The the Hillary Mountains could be up to up to about five kilometers. So you know, similar to the Ceres thing. And then there's this really really smooth uh, ice sheet out there, except that it does have structure, which which I'll get to next. Okay, so here here are some of these. Uh, uh, mountains up close, and you could see how much that looks like the, the, the pyramid on Ceres. You know, it's the same, same kind of, you get some flat tops, you get these uh, 
uh, striations across the side. Uh, and, and of course, in this case, you also have ice moving in around it. So there's something going on there. Now, of course, Pluto's a weird place because it's tipped over on its side. And, and so, uh, uh, so the, the, you get, you get uh, uh, summer in the North Pole, and the South Pole's completely you know, in the dark, and vice versa. And, and so there's going to be a lot of migration of volatiles from one hemisphere to the other. And that's probably an explanation for some of the uh, very interesting morphologies that we see uh, on the surface. Uh, so you know, here we go. Here's the, the planum, or, or the yeah, Sputnik planum. And, and there's these cellular uh, features uh, in the ice. Thank you. And we're going to have like the uh, the movie theater stuff, you know, at the beginning of the of the talks. Uh, <laughs> um, but but clearly uh, this this is moving. Uh, stuff is moving up against the mountains. We see places where where ice is flowing out of the mountains, like you know, there's so, so there's like glacier type stuff. Except instead of being water ice, which is rock at Pluto, it's it's nitrogen ice is the is the main driver. So we see methane in regions. Uh, here's a mixture of methane, uh, nitrogen, carbon monoxide there, and uh, oh yeah, two different kinds of methane. We'll get into that. Okay, dunes on Pluto. Dunes, dunes. You know, what I mean, it, 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 it's it's got an atmosphere about you know, a millionth the, the the pressure of of the Earth. But remember that that you know it's tipped over on the side, and so we're getting these these times of the year when there's a lot of migration of volatile materials from one pole to the other, and perhaps that is uh, uh, what's driving actually some what might actually be some alien processes uh, on Pluto, which, which would be, uh, uh, from a physics standpoint, kind of bizarre. But, you know, what is it? If, it? if it does happen, it can happen, so. And then we have some new stuff that just came down uh, in the last few days, uh, some of the highest resolution images of, of Pluto. Uh, so this is out on the uh, Sputnik Planum, and where you see these, these impact features. Now, the, the interesting thing, it's all interesting, is, is you see these uh, layers in, within the craters. So that's suggesting that there might be some, you know, different, different compositions, different uh, 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 strengths of uh, uh, material in there. Um, and, you know, we also see these, these cracks, which again may be, you know, tectonic in origin, but it also may be due to ice flow and differential uh, flow causing cracks uh, uh, from that. So, you know, again, we look at these pictures and we just go, Okay, uh, there's there's a lot to try to figure out here, and then uh, we see some uh, closer up of some of the rocky terrain where there's, uh, like I say, erosion and faulting. This erosion stuff is this really is really neat because because you know it could be because of, of like the vault is moving across. Maybe there's winds of some of some level though, not like the Martian. Okay, no, I, I don't want to spoil anything. Have, have any of you not seen the Martian? You know that want to see it. You know the the, the oh, okay. Sorry, Tom. <laughs> you had a responsibility to see the Martians. So, yeah, you know, I mean, I mean, windstorms like that on Mars. You know, that's that's kind of like windstorms here. You know, it's it's not real. Uh, <laughs> but uh, 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 yes. Yeah, so so yeah. So we have a canyon system up up here that goes on for hundreds of kilometers. Uh, but, but we just look at the, at the texture of these surfaces, and, and there's, there's dramatic processes going on here, and, and so uh, it's suggesting that there's a lot of 
uh, subsurface and surface movement of, of materials that's you know, causing things on both large and small scales to, to bash into each other. Uh, so, and then, uh, oh boy, a lot of words. Uh, <laughs> oh, let's see, I think, uh, I think on this one, you can kind of see places where there are, you know, like I flow, like you see in the Alps, you know, with, with the glacial flows, you know, coming down. Um, and, and again, here, here are more of these dune type, dune type structures, these lineations uh, that, like, what, what could cause that? You know, is it some kind of wind process? Is, is it possible that, that, uh, that, that wind on Pluto would be stuff that it could pick up a grain? Um, you know, or is it due to some, you know, weird compressional fracturing or something. Uh, uh, this is something which, which we'll write papers and grant proposals on for years to come. So, so but, but Pluto's absolutely just a, it, it, before New Horizons got there, said, what's Pluto gonna look like? Uh, you know, people say, oh, it's gonna look like, it's gonna look like uh, Triton, you know, the large moon around, you know, uh, uh, Neptune. They had little black geysers and some, different ices and different parts of it. And it's like, okay, this is, this is so far beyond the pale of, of anything anybody imagined before he got there. But, but if Pluto is crazy, Charon was completely on drugs. Because, I mean, I really expected Charon, it's like, well, Charon was formed in a giant impact that, that, that you know, caused the formation of this uh, uh, the, 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 the satellite that's the, uh, Double, double planet with, with Pluto, and, and we really expected that it was gonna be this boring round ball of ice with nothing to show for itself. But instead, it's again a, a, a dramatic, I mean, over the top dramatic uh, structure. I mean, look, look at all these, all these uh, you know, tectonic structures here, and, and, and there's areas of that's relatively smooth. You know, there's arguments going on of, of, well, this happened a long time ago. It's like, okay, well then, if it happened a long time ago and we don't see, see you know, a lot of craters here, then there must not be many Kuiper Belt objects out there to smash into it. So there's, there's you know, discussions about that. Uh, and then you have this dark spot up here. It's like, well, what's that all, all about? Is it, was there an impact, an excavated dark material from the interior that got kind of spread out over the, over the surface? Or some people are saying that, well, you know, some of Pluto's atmosphere would transfer over there and, 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 and because of interactions with galactic cosmic rays form tholins, which are complex organic compounds, you know, over, over the uh, top of the surface. And then you take another and say, yeah, yeah, I can, I can see that. I can see that. But, but, and, and, and again, and again, you know, uh, the, the team, they've got great names because this is how we reach out to the public. You know, you, you don't call, call things Akator, you know, whatever it is. But, but, but you say Mordor Macula. You know, that's, that's what that is up there. That's something to remember, you know, because you, you just, you, 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 you wonder, you know, is, is Sauron there? You know, you know what, what's the story? So, uh, yeah, so Mordor Macula, just great. And, and uh, Kubrick Mons, you know, Kubrick Mons, Vulcan Planum. You know, these guys have got it. You know, uh, Alice, there's, there's a Vader Crater, Vader Crater. You know, I mean, this is something that you can teach children. So, uh, yeah, no, no, the team, the team has done a, a, a great, Nemo, you know, has done a great uh, job in, in having fun identifying these things while being culturally sensitive. And, and then there's weird things on, on Charon, too. I mean, one of, the, one of the big mysteries is that, okay, how did that mountain end up in that crater? You know, I mean, who put it there? You know, is it something that came in really slow 
and then just kind of settle down. You know, you, you, Karen's gravity isn't such that if you put an object that size on the surface that it would just deform it, there's something else going on. And, and basically, we don't have a clue. So uh, absolutely fascinating uh, structures on, on Charon. Not, not a boring object. So some thoughts about Pluto and Charon that, that again, active objects, you know, dramatic interior processes going on. And, and, uh, and of course, on, on Pluto, it has these extreme seasons that, you know, maybe that's, you know, just the removal of ice, the redeposition of ice or, or winds or whatever is, is causing uh, things that we see there. And uh, so, so I'd like to wrap up by talking about why are dwarf planets, why are they important? You know, one of the reasons is that, and this has been great, I mean, three, three in one year, you know, we had to wait back in Voyager days for like a few more years we can see another planet. But, uh, 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 you know, it's, it's been very, a very dramatic year. And, and the cool thing about dwarves is that they're the most common type of planet in our solar system. You know, now, now, now well, we won't go into official recognition and stuff like that. But they are the most common type of planet in our solar system. There are at least a dozen objects that are big enough to be round under their own gravity. And if we're seeing this kind of stuff, uh, on Pluto and Charon, what if we go further out to Eris or, or Haumea or Makimaki? You know, what, which was your one of them? I can't remember. It was either, I think it was Haumea, the one that's like a football because it's spinning so fast that, that it's, it's really distorted. It's what we call a Jacobi ellipsoid. And so you know, what, what must life there be like? Uh, so it, it, may, it may look, may, like Charon look like a piker. So, uh, uh, so, so we're seeing uh, examples for the first time, the most common type of planet in our solar system, and, and in fact, possibly the most common type of planet in the universe. Because one thing that we know is that you always get more little guys than big guys, you know, when you, when you do uh, a planet formation. So, uh, so we see a lot of little guys in our solar system. As we look at other stars, well, and we won't see these guys because they're just too little, but, but it's quite likely that, that they are there. Uh, because then there's the outer regions where there's the more volatiles and such uh, to, to form these things. So, uh, uh, so, you know, all of the models, interior models of, of, of dwarf planets have them at some point in their early history, perhaps to the present day, you know, perhaps not so, so long, have interior oceans. You know, because you get the radioactive nuclei decaying, decaying, causing heat, warming things up, and it melts the ice. And, and you have the rock forming down, uh, forming uh, interior uh, uh, cores, and, and then for some period of time you have oceans persisting. And how long does it take? And this is an unanswered question, but how long does it take uh, for life to arise in that kind of thing? Yes. So, so dwarf planets could actually be reservoirs of life, uh, both in our own solar system and in the universe. You know, sounds really important now, doesn't it? Hmm? And, and, and when, we, when we look, you know, uh, and just because it's, it's in the dark, you know, we, we see that on the Earth. We go to the deep portions of the oceans uh, and near hydrothermal systems, and we find all kinds of very primitive life there, and tube worms, all kinds of cool things. And when we look at the family tree, the most uh, uh, ancient uh, forms of life on Earth are what we call extremophiles. They're the kind of stuff that you'd find down in places like that. And, and so this is the kind of life that we might find in the interior of a dwarf planet. 
And so, so again, why are they important? Because another thing that goes on in, in solar systems, you know, we see evidence of all this planetary migration. The early solar system and early periods of times around other stars, they're kind of really wild. Things are being, planets are migrating. They're, you know, it's like the ghost buzzers. Cats and dogs are, you know, mating. And, uh, but, 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 but they're moving around in our own solar system. Uh, we had uh, the great heaven bombardment when, uh, you know, Neptune and Jupiter, or Neptune and Uranus probably switched places crowded into a, a, a belt of a Kuiper belt objects, so you toss it on into the inner solar system and, and everything gets bashed up. And there were a lot of dwarf planet-sized objects back at that time. Between, between Mars and Jupiter, uh, we've lost, during that period of time, we lost 99% of the mass that was in there. And there was probably a lot of series that were formed then. And, and, and it's quite likely that, that one of those objects struck the Earth. And so, so the question is, is you know, uh, oh yeah, and, and some work that was done at PSI indicated that, that the interior water from such a world would survive. And so how much does it take to infect the planet if it's in the right spot, if it's in a Goldilocks, if it's in a Goldilocks zone like the Earth? And uh, so, so dwarf planets in the universe may be incubators of life in the universe. That, that we get simple forms developing in their interiors. You, you know, you're giving a science talk, you gotta go you know, over the edge a little bit. And, and uh, uh, so, uh, you know, if, if one of them bashes into something like the Earth that's not too hot, not too cold, and, you know, the water can exist on the surface, and, and then now you've got a lot more complex environments for this life to evolve in and, and, and uh, turn into more complex uh, life. So at the end of the day, we may have started here. As I, th thank you, that's it. <laughs> okay. Questions? Thank you so much, Mark. And that means we have plenty of time for questions. So I will pass the microphone oh. around to anyone who has a question. Could you please comment on the, this notion of uh, finding water in other bodies in the solar system? might be a, a source of how water got here. Uh, isn't any, any scenario of how water got there in these other bodies, could that be applicable to Earth? And why, I don't understand that process. Well, see, what happens is that in the early solar system, you get close to the sun, it's hot. You get further away from the sun, it's cold. And, and so you get beyond the snow line, and, and you can get bodies, particles collecting and forming together that, are, that have a lot of ice in them. If they go interior to the, to the snow line, it's just vapor. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't accrete. Uh, so Earth is interior to the snow line. Now, it, it could very well be that water vapor, you know, kind of at a molecular level is attaching to grains and that, that you know, water on Earth was, was locally uh, sourced. But, uh, uh, but we know that, that during these periods of heavy bombardment in the early solar system, that objects from further out that had water, not, not, not necessarily like oceans and stuff, but just water mixed in, in clays, uh, uh, in, in carbonaceous uh, uh, C-type asteroids, carbonaceous chondrite-type material could have come in and, and banged on the Earth and then, and then you know, provided the, the water from, uh, from, from that. So, so it, it's, it's uh, water forms, uh, accretes in the bodies uh, once you get beyond the snow line in the, in the early solar system. Uh, we have a question down here. Dr. Sykes, 
that last crater he showed us had a block mass thrust up. Uh, I think it was on. Oh, the one on Charon? Yeah, on Charon. yeah, 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 yeah. Well, well you're whatever it, it is. It looked like the Gale crater on Mars. Well, on steroids. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, Gale Crater, right, except that there's not the, you know, there weren't any oceans in the past on Ceres, or on, on Charon surface. You know, so Gale Crater, they're talking about the, that, that the, the exterior was kind of eroded down, leaving the interior, the, the knob in the top, which, like, okay, fine. Yeah, I mean, you have to come up with some explanation for it, you see. So, yes? What is the gravity level out there on these dwarf planets? <sighs> well, um, gosh. Uh, series that's a lot lower than the moon because they're, they're smaller. Uh, uh, you know, I, I think their their uh, escape velocities are you know in the, the sub kilometers per second, sub hundreds of meters per second because uh, their, their mass is so much lower than the Earth. But I'd have to Google it. <laughs> yeah, praise Google, praise its holy name. <laughs> yes, yes. The um, Pluto-Charon system has four other satellites, Hydra, Kerberos, Nix, and Styx. Yes. Uh, were they possibly captured by that system? And what else can you tell us about those four? Well, uh, uh, they are probably uh, from the same impact that formed uh, uh, Charon. Uh, uh, came from uh, the Proto-Pluto. Um, they're irregular. They have uh, uh, New Horizons is seeing differences in uh, color uh, on them. Um, uh, they're, uh, I think, because of the goofy uh, dynamics of the system, where you've got the berry center of these two objects, you know, in between them, and they're going around, and, and these poor smaller satellites that are trying to orbit can never quite get synchronous, you know, because there's these weird pulses going on. Uh, uh, the, one of the interesting things uh, was, was that they didn't find any more, you know, when they passed through the system. You know, they didn't find any, any rings of dust uh, or any other uh, small satellites. So, you know, some, some, sometimes interesting things is not only what you find, but what you don't find. And so that's, that's an interesting res, a result of the, of the flyby. Do any of Professor Maroney's students have questions? <laughs> For even more extra I'm credit. sure he'd be very proud of you if you asked a question. <laughs> Over here we have a question. Okay, can we film them? <laughs> How long does it take for the messages from the explorer? Uh, well, it's here. 40, uh, Pluto's about 40 uh, AU. Uh, it takes about eight minutes to get light from the sun, so eight times 40 is uh, that many minutes, so that's a few hours. It's several hours, yeah, yeah to get back. And, and because they're so far away, and, and, and the, the strength of the signal, you know, decreases as the inverse square of the, of the distance, then, then it's slow going to get the data back, which is why it's going to take them uh, uh, that part of a year to, to get the data back from the, from the flyby, from, the, from those few days, you know. When you're talking water on these other planets, are you talking fluid, or do you mean like H2O? H2O. Now, okay, it may not be the purest H2O, and you wouldn't want to drink it, you know, because, because it may have, uh, you know, ammonia in it, uh, uh, you know, some other, you know. Salts. Yeah, salts yeah. and stuff, which under some circumstances would be good, but, you know, generally no. So, yeah. So what exactly is the radial uh, tilt? Axial tilt on Pluto, you made it sound like it was give Uranus a run for its money. It does. 
It does. It's like, you know, 100 degrees or something, you know. Again, praise Google, praise his holy name. But, yeah, no, it's, 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 it has absolutely dramatic uh, seasons on it as a consequence of its Uranus-like tilt. Any other questions? Yes, over here, oh, we have two. I'm just going to pass down the microphone. <laughs> you can both ask questions. All right, so you said there is uh, other dwarf planets past Pluto. Are we going to see them soon, or do we know what they're made of at all at this point in time? Well, uh, uh, spectroscopically, they're icy. And, uh, 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 but in terms of seeing them up close, uh, you know, it's, it's taken you know, nine years to, to get out to, to Pluto. And, and, and New Horizons, is, they, it's just done some course corrections to do the flyby of the, of the small Kuiper Belt objects, uh, which are like protocomets. And, and so it's not going to have any more gas to do a course correction to fly by one of, the, one of those uh, other uh, dwarf planets. So we'll have to invite, in, invent some kind of new propulsion system to, uh, to uh, uh, see them up close and personal. Uh, but someday, you know, maybe. Pardon me? What, what, you know, or if we build, build like a really big telescope, interferometric thing in, in, in space, and then can, can image it that way, that might actually be cheaper to do. Question here. Um, I was just wondering what the striations on the pyramids were from, and if there's similar cause for what we're finding on Mars. It's, it, 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 it's probably different sizes of, of, of gravel, if you will, that are, that are coming down. So finer, finer dust maybe coming down these rivulets and, and making it look a little brighter than the, than the surrounding uh, stuff. You know, uh, uh, you know, so hopefully uh, spectroscopy and more resolution will you know, provide some insight into that. You know, one, one of the things, one thought about that, why it all stops, you know, at the bottom, is that, is that uh, you know, when this mass comes up, it, you know, it may be enough to depress uh, some of the surface around it. So, so it could form a, a, like a ditch, you know, a moat around it where it's pushing back into the surface, and then the, 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 the gravel will, will fall down the sides, and then it, it doesn't go beyond the ditch. So, so that might be one explanation for, for what we see there. Question here. Yes. I was wondering if um, you have any explanation for why the dwarf planets are tilt, tilted so much, and if there's any other dwarf planets uh, with that. They're not, they're not all tilted. I mean, Ceres is, has an obliquity, you know, in terms of the, the tilt relative to the, uh, its orbital plane, five degrees or, you know, it's, it's not very much. Uh, Pluto's an extreme example. And so Karen is too because they're they're buddies, and uh, uh, I don't. I, I think they're kind of all over the map, you know. So so you know they they're smaller objects. They've had uh, collisional history. I mean, look at Uranus. Something hit that and whacked it over, and it's a pretty pretty heavy object. So uh, so so they've had collisional histories that can have caused uh, these these kinds of tilts to happen. We're working our way down in age. <laughs> ah. I have one question. Um, in space, why don't we fall? Why do we have to like jump instead of like just walk on the ground? Well, because you know when you're walking on the ground, right? You're pushing against the ground. Now on Earth, you know the gravity is such you push against the ground and you don't go very far. But on something like Ceres, you just you just do this a little bit 
and you end up going up 10 feet. And so, uh, and so the, 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 their objects are smaller, less massive, and so the gravity force, the stickiness, is, is, is a lot lower. Just like you remember, the, well, do you remember? Remember astronauts on the moon? Of course not. Of course not. What am I, what am I thinking? But, but, okay, movies of astronauts on the moon, you know, where they're, they're kind of skipping around, you know, and the moon's got like one-sixth the gravity of the Earth. So, so it doesn't take as much work to, to jump. And if you go to even a smaller body like Ceres or Pluto or Charon, then, then you know, you're like Olympic. Question. Where? Right. Ah. Um, I don't know the proper term for this, but I, know, I think I read someplace that Pluto, Charon, and all of the satellites are kind of rotating in a circle rather than a spin like like the Earth and most of the other planets. They're sort of like... Well, well Pluto and Charon face each other. They're, yeah. they're tidally locked. So that way the, the, the same sides of, of, of both worlds are always facing each other as they orbit the, that point in between them. Now, now the smaller satellites uh, beyond them, you know, they're in, they're in reasonably circular, circular orbits, but, but because things are kind of so bumpy out there for them, you know, they're not tidally locked. And so their, their spins are not... Uh, 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 an integral number fraction of their uh, uh, of their orbits. Is there any significance to that? Well, it's an important clue in trying to understand the dynamical evolution of the system because you have to come up with that result. You know, so if you're working it out, you know, your 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 computer models and everything's sophisticated and all that, and you come up with everything's tightly locked, you know, you got you got something wrong someplace. So so it's a constraint to the models that we would apply to try to understand how the system is, has evolved over time. Last question. Last question. Uh, the question is, uh, you showed the haze around uh, Pluto, and is there also one around Charon? I don't know for sure. But, around uh, Charon? No. No. Uh, what is the composition of that haze? It is um, probably uh, sooty-type dust. Uh, uh, again, this, this tholin-type stuff, complex organic uh, 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 pieces of uh, debris. That, that you know formed on the surface or whatever gets gets ablated off and and uh, and forms these really interesting haze layers at different altitudes that, that was also a, a kind of a cool uh, discovery by the spacecraft first of all I'd like to thank those of you especially who have been coming out to all of these lectures throughout this year uh, thank you so much we at Stewart Observatory really appreciate your patronage and support the telescope is open if you'd like to go up and look through it. It's the white building if you've ever been there before, up two flights of stairs. Um, I will see you again on January the 11th in 2016. I'll stamp student assignments down here. We'll thank Dr. Sykes one more time. Thank you. Thank you.